Hi, this is Addie, and I'm so glad you tuned into the Grace Church Podcast. I think that because you tuned in, you will better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we are living out our ancient faith in modern times, and we believe that these next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more about Grace and what's going on, visit us at graceocala.org. Today I want us to look at the gospel a little bit, specifically Jesus' first two lines. Before I get to that, though, I want to note that in my world today, I don't know about yours, I hear a lot of pessimism about Christianity, that it's declining, nope, that it's under attack in the United States, I don't see it, that it's just not relevant for our lives and our cultures, and I would totally disagree with that. But pessimism still continues to grow. It seems to have some folks in its grip and paralyze them. And I know several, maybe many, Christians just sort of wringing their hands in holy dismay. Everything is hopeless. Society is collapsing. Christianity is not relevant anymore. Where is it coming from? Why do folks feel this way? Well, I think sometimes it's because Christians are feeling alienated. They're feeling powerless. And so let's answer that question. Are we powerless? Is the quest for social change just hopeless? Should we just hunker down here at Grace? Or can we, as believers in Jesus, actually exert some kind of influence with Christ, for Christ, that can bring meaningful change to the world around us? Christian pessimism says that we are incapable of adding anything to society today. And I'm here to say today, I think that's nuts. Even more, I would say that's heretical. I would say it's harmful to say that kind of stuff because it is both biblically and historically mistaken. Christian churches have had incredible, enormous influences on society for, since they've existed, for all time. I was digging through a church history book this week and I found this great quote from a church historian. and He said, no life ever lived on this planet has been so influential in the affairs of men like the life of Jesus Christ. From that brief life and its apparent failure has flowed more powerful forces of triumph, waging war against man's long battle to destroy one one another than anything else in the human race. He goes on to say, By it, millions have been listed from illiteracy and, and ignorance and have been placed on the road of growing intellectual freedom and control over their physical environment. It has done more to cure the physical ills of disease and famine than any other impulse known to man. It's emancipated millions from slavery and millions other from addiction. It has protected tens of millions from exploitation. Christianity has been the most fruitful source of lessening the, war, the horrors of war, and to put the relations of men and nations together with justice and peace and anything else that anyone else can point to. So let's start today by getting rid of Christian pessimism. The idea that we're somehow alienated or powerless. 
And while we're at it, let's also get rid of just simple blind optimism that utopia is just around the corner. It's not. By all accounts, looks like we're going to be here for a while. So we have to be biblical realists, balancing this doctrine of creation with redemption and consummation, but we aren't powerless. Instead, what I'm afraid is that we are lazy and unbelieving and disobedient when it comes to the commission of Jesus. And to those charges, let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Now, it may seem like hopefully a familiar section of Scripture to you. If you were here last week, it's a follow-along exactly on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He begins with the Beatitudes. Today, he picks up with, you are salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So here we have two metaphors. First in the salt, then in the light. And Jesus is teaching about Christians and their responsibility to their society. He is emphasizing very specifically the difference between those who follow him and those who don't. The Christians and the non-Christians. Between the church and the world. Between those who have influence on others and those who just live primarily for themselves. So let's explore that a little bit. The world, he says, is like rotting meat. It had a purpose, but it's gone sour. It's decaying. It's become smelly. It's become putrid. But we are not going to abandon it, he says. Nobody's quitting here. Instead, we are the world's salt. Next, he says, the world is like a dark night. Scary. Uncertain. Cold. Eerily quiet. But those who call themselves Christians are to be light to that world, to push the darkness out and bring us together. And right here, in these two little verses, is the fundamental difference between those who call themselves Christians and those who are not. The church and the world, the distinction, the line is quite clear. Like salt in in putrefying meat, Christians hinder social decay. Did you know that? That's what you do. You hinder social decay. Like light that comes into a prevailing darkness, we are to shine in society's darkness and show a better way. And as important as it is to understand our roles, we need to grasp the two stages that Jesus is teaching here. God's new society, what he actually calls the church, is as different from the old society as salt is from rotting meat, as light is from darkness. But a lot of Christians stop right there. They don't go any farther because they're too preoccupied with simple survival. They want to maintain the Christian's distinction from the world, and so they say salt has to to retain its saltiness. It cannot become contaminated. The light has to retain its brightness. It must not be smothered by the darkness. And I agree, sort of, but not really, because that just sounds like survival to me. God has a better idea. Salt and light are not just a little bit different from their environment. They're supposed to have a powerful influence over everything around them. The salt that is rubbed into the meat stops the rot. The light that shines in the darkness makes the darkness Go away. We, brothers and sisters, are that new society. 
set up on a lampstand to give light to the world around us. And that's the influence that I want to propose is much different than survival. We are called to be agents of change. So let me suggest just a few brief ways that you personally can be that agent of change. The agent of change that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 5. The first is the power of prayer. The church's first duty towards our society and its leaders as Christians is to pray for them. And please don't dismiss this as some kind of pious platitude because it's not. That's not at all how I mean it. The truth here is that as Christians, we are to never stop praying. Now, sometimes Christians get so busy making social change, they never pray at all. But prayer is the indispensable part of the Christian life and life of the church. So if our community, if Ocala has more violence than peace, if we have more indecency than modesty, if we are more bent towards oppression than justice, more secularism than godliness, it's on us to pray for these things. I want to encourage you also to be serious as serious as you can be about the five or six or sometimes eight minutes of intercession that we have as a congregation when we bow down before God and bring to Him our world, its leaders, and we cry out for His intervention. We don't need more times where we can just be quiet and let those prayers wash over us. We need to add our prayers to those. The same is true for our private prayers. We need to put our thoughts and our hearts into the power of prayer. Next, we need to embrace the power of truth. I hope, I pray, that each and every one of you believes in the truth of the gospel. I hope that we're all convinced that the power of the gospel brings salvation and redemption to those who believe and respond to Jesus Christ. But it's not only the gospel that is powerful. All of God's truth is powerful. God's truth is more powerful than any of the devil's lies. And I would argue that sometimes when we are pessimistic, we are actually believing in what Satan is telling us. We are giving him voice over the truth that God has told us. And pessimism is this little lie that's whispered in our ear and we think, well, maybe Satan is more powerful than we thought. So how can we see God at work? How can we see his truth at work? Well, lots of ways. An easy one is by persuasion, by being ethical apologists who argue for truth and goodness as the moral law of God, by being Christian thinkers who use their minds for Jesus Christ, who speak and write and share across the many, many platforms available to us today. As I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think about my wife as she tells me about the discussion, discussion she has in her classrooms on a daily basis. She encourages her kids all the time to think and act morally, arguing for truth and goodness just as humans. She doesn't mention Christianity specifically all the time because she doesn't need to mention it all the time. The kids know that she's a Christian by her actions, a lot of the kids in her classroom already go to church, but just strangely forget when they get to school. 
And then there's that periodic time when I show up in my collar in her classroom, and then they know <laughs> for sure that we're Christians. She isn't pushy. She isn't overbearing. She's kind and compassionate and always committed to the truth. You can do exactly the same thing. Our country right now is embroiled in this discussion about immigration. It's been all over the news for the last two weeks. And when you and your friends are talking about it, I'd encourage you to take God's position on immigration. And if you don't know it, here, I'll give you a simple primer. He's pro-widow. He's pro-orphan. He's pro-caring for the stranger. He's pro-picking up the stranger by the side of the road, taking him down to the hotel, checking him in and paying for it. It's called the Good Samaritan. He's pro-all of that. So when the discussion comes up with your friends, and by the way, not on Facebook, please. I said discussion. That's not Facebook. Let them know that you believe in the power of truth, the truth that is here in Christ that makes a difference. Here's another idea. Simple one. We can't force people to go to church by legislation, nor would we want to. We can't force people to take a rest on Sunday or to make time in their own lives to recreate. And yes, we could quote Bible at them saying, God wants a Sabbath for your life as if that somehow settled the matter for them, but it will just come off looking like nuts. But we can argue for the psychological and physiological benefits that come from taking one day out of seven and resting. And that socially, that rest is actually really good for families who are separated from the, by the rest of the week to have one day together. We could argue for legislation that actually protects people from being compelled to work every day of their life, that encourages family life, that prevents us from overruling God's plan of rest. We could do all of those things. And we never once have to impose Christian views on non-Christians by quoting the Bible at them dogmatically. We can use all the other truths that God has given us, the physiological, psychological, sociological, all of his truth, by the way, to command wisdom behind the, the biblical teachings that you and I already believe. We can lead a horse to water knowing that it needs a drink. So why do this? Why do any of this? Because we believe in the power of truth in all circumstances and in all situations. You also have the power of example. Truth is powerful when it's argued. It's even more powerful when it's exhibited. People need to not only know that you're a Christian, they need to see its benefits in your life with their own eyes. One of the greatest powers for good, in my opinion, is the Christian family living out its faith. When a community sees a husband and a wife loving and honoring one another, devoted and faithful to one another, submitting to and finding fulfillment in one another, it's unbeatable. It's incredible. It's life-changing. When our society sees your kids growing up in the security of a loving family with discipline, not turning in on themselves, not looking to themselves as their own masters, but instead turning outward, entertaining strangers, welcoming other people into your home, seeking to get involved in their community with its concerns, loving Jesus in all of that, that power of example, I think it's unbeatable. 
we as Christians are already marked. We're already known. The world is watching, so why not just embrace it? We don't need to shy away from it. You don't need to worry that the world's going to see your cracks and flaws. I don't know if you know this, but God's major way of changing society is this radical idea of taking an old society and then putting a new society within that old society that has different values, different standards, different joys, different goals, and then saying flourish. So this is it, guys. People see what God is doing in your life and they are attracted. And Jesus said, they see your good works and they give glory to your Father in heaven. Finally, we have the power of the group. That is the power of a dedicated minority. I've always loved the quote from sociologist Margaret Mead. She says this, Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. This is the way of Jesus. He began with a small group, and within a few years, we have records of Roman officials complaining that they kept turning the world upside down. Today, we still have this incredible need for a group of dedicated Christians committed to one another, to the vision of Christ, who will pray, think, formulate policies, and work together in this community and in the broader community. Do you want to see our national life be more pleasing to God? Do you have a vision of what the United States could be like if there was a new godliness, a new justice, a new freedom, a new righteousness, a new compassion? Can you see that world? Because I can. Not all the time, but sometimes. And I want it. If you want it, you need to start today by repenting of Christian pessimism. Give that junk up. And then reaffirm with me a confidence in the power of God, the power of prayer, the power of truth, the power of exemplary living. Commit yourself to being in groups where those things happen. Offer yourself to him as salt and light in this community. Imagine the enormous influence for Christ that grace could have if we were totally committed to him like this. So I say let's do it. Let's give ourselves to him who gave himself for us. Let me pray for us. Father, we acknowledge that we are often lazy, preoccupied with ourselves. We look away when there's something to be done because we think other people will do it. And every time we do that, God, not only do we miss the opportunity to serve, we miss the opportunity to be with you. We miss the moment where we could stand with you and see you caring for the widows and the orphans. Father, I pray that you would build in us, that you would put in us such a fire from the Holy Spirit that we would no longer be content with being saltless and lightless but we would pursue those things no matter what because you gave them to us as a gift, not only for ourselves, but for this world. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.
We are so glad you joined us on our podcast today. We hope that you will take what you've heard and share it with your community. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, find us on Facebook, on Instagram, or online at graceocala.org. Go in peace.